referendum has been held, the letter has triggered Article 50, uh, Britain's decision to leave, and the process is underway. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. It is not in our interests to see the Republic of Ireland do anything other than prosper. We cannot agree to do this unless we have firm guarantees that there will not be a hard border in Ireland. I can hear the pigs. Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of Paddy Wants No Brexit. We get out on the road for the very first time. Uh, this week we got down to my uncle's pig farm down in Bally James Duff in County Cavan to see how the pig industry might be affected by Brexit. We're joined as ever by my co-host Jack Good. Jack, what did you make of it all? Well, first time on a pig farm. Not <laughs> City a, boy. Not a farm, but certainly the pig farm. It was really fascinating. I mean, we actually did a tour of the farm as well, but I think we should actually probably hear from Tommy straight away, should we? Because he's going to be really affected by this. At the moment, we're selling 100% in Northern 100% into Northern Ireland. All our pigs go to Cookstown in Northern Ireland at the moment. So a hard border that slows up the whole operations is... Well, a hard border would be a total disaster for yeah. us. I mean, uh, you simply couldn't uh, have a check on the border with livestock. It simply it won't work. With, with, with pigs, it won't work because, I mean, there's welfare issues there for starters. I mean, what are you going to do? Take off the pigs again at the border? Count them? Weigh them? Yeah. What, 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 what check are you going to have, like, you know? So border checks again, Brian. Um, I, I think the other thing as well, like 100%, and I don't think he's alone in that, but 100% is just astronomical. Well, I mean, that's his business, full stop. They sell all of their pigs to Cookstown. And not only is that important for him and uh, his brother, my other uncle, Brian Brady, who co-owns the farm with him, it's also very important for the guys in Cookstown, right? Because they're taking all of these pigs in as well to run their business and to whatever they do with them at that point, from that point onwards. So it's very important for two parts of the business. And he made a very important point about what practical steps would have to occur in the event of a hard Brexit. So straight away you see how you know massively impacted the border regions are i think the other thing for me is was the simple question of why does it go up north rather than why does it go down south and again as well as the practical steps he was talking about there mm-hmm. the problems with brexit there was kind of a clear reason for that they just seem to be fit to handle that bit heavier now typically down here they don't want them much more over 105 106 kilos whereas we can get to 120 in the north without any penalties on us so it just suits our operation at the moment. Uh, we have the space to, to get them to the 120 live weight, you know, which is, uh, uh, it's about, what, it's about 90 kilos dead weight. So they can handle them there in the north and because the more weight we can get on, the more kilos of meat we sell. So it's all about kilos of meat we sell. So it's all about kilos and meat we sell. So the bigger the pig, the more money he gets. So that's why he goes up north. Seems fairly rational to me. That seems totally rational. And I thought processing a pig was pretty much similar north and south. But he also said that in some instances in the south, if the pig's too heavy, you'll actually get fined for it. It's it's a disincentive to, to um, increase the weight of the pig. Yeah. So he just, you know, makes a rational business decision to get the pig as big as he can and sells it to the industry that can take it. And I must say, if I was in the situation, just having heard what we've heard there, I'd be slightly panicked. You would be, certainly from what you've heard so far. The listener should be panicked for the pig industry. <laughs> like 100% 
going north, that's yeah. your whole business. And if you go down south, you might get fined or certainly not get as much money as you would, as you currently do now. But somehow he's able to sleep at night. So, I mean, where are they going to get that pork at that standard? Anywhere in the world? Nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere. So they're going to have to deal with it. So that's the only thing that keeps us kind of reasonably sane, as I say, mm. at the moment. So he's talking about the UK there, Jack. What does he mean? I guess he means we like our rashers. I mean, I know I know people, you know, who live in different countries, you get requests for tato crisps, Barry's or Lion's Tea, not getting political there. Um, <laughs> but also the other thing you, you get a request for is for rashers. And, you know, we're all fond of the odd fry up. The Irish and the Brits like their their Ulster fry, their full Irish, their full British breakfast. But that's not exactly the case elsewhere. I mean, you can't sort of say I'm going to go to France or Germany because they just don't eat it there. Like, you know, I mean, like us with the sausages, like, you know, the, the, the rashers. Like, I mean, that's, you know, you go across the world and you see traditional Irish or English breakfast. Like, you know, exactly what you're going to get. Like, you know, like the UK is not going to suddenly stop eating pork. Like, and they do need to import it. So they're going to have to get it somewhere. So that's the only thing that keeps us with a reasonable bit of sanity in is that, you know, exactly, you know, (laughs) they're still, they're not going to stop eating pork next March, like, you know. So that's, you know, a very, you know, practical businessman's kind of perspective on it. The Brits like their pork. Uh, He makes the point that they don't produce enough in the UK, so they need to import it. And they're not going to stop having their breakfast in the morning just because the e just because of Brexit. So that's the key thing that keeps him, you know, being able to have a good night's sleep. That there is a large demand for it in the UK. Yeah, well I mean the bacon butty is obviously only one of the one of the different ways they use it. I think the other thing as well that was interesting that I certainly didn't know beforehand was that the UK standards are actually higher than the because we we always hear about like one of the reasons the UK went for Brexit was to get away from the overbearing EU mm. rules and to take back control. And there was an assumption maybe that those standards would then be diminished or that they would come down. But I think we'll we'll have another listen to him here about, you know, a red tractor that's not actually a vehicle. Uh, but the funny thing about it is, you know, even though there's EU regulations, but then a lot of the supermarkets have their own regulations. Like the British have their own regulations there, which is even a higher standard than the EU regulations, what they call their red tractor. And Tesco and Safeways and a, a, a lot of the, the multiples in the UK would b- insist that the pigs that they use are of red tractor standard. And we are a, a Tesco supplier here, so we are red tractor approved. So we are at the moment actually having a higher standard of, uh, if that's possible, a higher standard uh, than the EU because there are requirements that, uh, uh, you know, that Tesco insist on. So yeah, so I worked on this farm for many years throughout university. Whenever I needed a few pound, they always found a way to, uh, they found something for me to do, basically. Um, and I didn't know this before we went on the farm uh, over the weekend. Um, and really, the industry drive the standards here because the consumers are more discerning. And I, I just thought that was absolutely fascinating on my end. Well, it, it kind of countered the common narrative, isn't it, about lowering standards. There's actually a higher standard than the EU's standard. Yeah, and it shows that, you know, a discerning consumer and customer can ensure a higher standard because Tesco's and Waitrose and all these guys want to be able to stand over their produce 
uh, to say that it was produced in an ethical or a high environmental standard fashion. So everyone's happy, basically, in this scenario. Well, yeah, I mean, we enjoy good quality meat. You know, I, th- I think that's that's certainly something that we take pride in and and also glut out on as well, isn't it? Yeah, certainly. And I was chatting to uh, a friend of mine uh, in Berlin over the weekend, and he was saying, you know, don't forget the stand in his experience, the standard of pork and uh, meat is much higher in Ireland than the UK than what it is in Berlin and Germany and elsewhere in Europe. Yeah, and I think actually speaking of Berlin and other markets, I mean, one of the other questions that we we asked Tommy was, are other markets going to be able to consume or sort of replace the UK market? And there has been some progress in these markets. And I suppose we'll we'll listen back to Tommy now. Well, I mean, the the Chinese market has become increasingly uh, important as pig producers in the the EU. And uh, it certainly is a market that uh, all the processes are actively pursuing and, and, and working on. But, you know, it'll never replace, uh, for us, it'll still never replace the UK market, you know. It would never replace it. It would help, yeah. And the Japanese market, again, with uh, this EU-Japanese trade deal, that will help us as well, you know, help the pig, the pig industry in, in Europe, you know. And uh, particularly if, if the lower, I don't know if, what where the tariffs were on pork going into Japan, but, I mean, that should help. Uh, I mean, the Australian market is there as well, and we are selling into Australia as well. And, uh, you know, places like, uh, you know, you wouldn't think of, like, you know, the Far East as well, like, you know, different countries like Vietnam and places like that. So, yeah, there are definitely the other markets and, and, and they're important. But, I mean, to just suddenly forget about the UK market in the morning, I don't think that'd be possible, no. So you can't forget about the UK market in the morning, but we have all these other markets. What do you make of that, Jack? Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, th- the idea of Irish pork in Vietnam is is a bit mad, isn't it? Because we're all used to Irish bars everywhere, but um, Irish pork in Vietnam certainly struck me. I think the other interesting aspect of it is just, on the very simple level, they're all very far away. Um, so yep. presumably they're different products that are going over there because you can't have fresh meat going all the way to China. Yeah. Or all the way to Japan or all the way to Australia. And I thought that was that was kind of something we, we actually picked up with Tommy, isn't it, as to what exactly the Chinese are eating. And it's something called... The fifth cut. The, the fifth quarter? Fifth quarter. Well, let's hope he knows more. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's hear from him now. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 those countries there, they, they would be taking probably what we would call the fifth cut, the different cuts, the cheaper cuts, the, particularly the, the Chinese, like, I mean, product that you wouldn't sell in, in Europe, like, you know, like bones and... Uh, pigs' tails and pigs' feet and pigs' heads and things like that. The the fifth quarter was always called in the process trade, like, you know, because that was the cheaper end of the cost. And that's very important uh, because that that's money too to get. So that that's mainly what they get. I'm not saying it's all they get, but that is one big part of that market, the Chinese market particularly. But they wouldn't necessarily be taking the quality cuts that the UK would? Not necessarily, no. But maybe they're probably, again, as the China middle class grows in China, you know, and... and you know, they get more wealthy and they probably will emerge on to take the more expensive cuts. But for the moment, like, definitely in the pork end, as far as I understand, it's the cheaper cuts to take. So Brexit's not going to be saved by the Chinese middle class, <laughs> Jack? Well, certainly not yet, you know. And I think that's the really interesting thing is that for all these new markets that we're opening up, you know, and, and he's just listed them off in the previous clips, it's clear that those markets are not going to be enough to satisfy 
the pork we produce. And so for all those people who say that these new markets are going to be able to replace Britain as the market or that countries should diversify and make an effort to go out, it's clearly just not an option. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make about how Brexit will affect Ireland full stop because you hear it all the time. X farmer, X industry, X services can diversify and go to Europe, go to the Middle East, go to America. The reality is to pivot your industry towards the Far East or the States is a five to ten year strategy and the demand isn't even necessarily there. But they eat different food, you know, I mean, like it, it, particularly with a, a, a fresh food like pork, albeit it can be salted and preserved and everything like that, but ultimately rashers need to be eaten fairly sharpish. Yeah, so it's just not a reality. Um, so I suppose, you know, another interesting point that Tommy made was how Ireland fitted in, you know, to the broader structure uh, of the pig market in Europe and how small a player actually we are overall. So, I mean, maybe let's hear about who are the other players in the industry. Jeez, whisper it softly, we're not as important as we think we are. Sure, surely shock not. Horror, shock horror. Ireland would be very, very small in terms of uh, sound numbers uh, compared to, we say the like of the Dutch, I think we, we have something like, I think 150 or 160,000 sows. I think the Dutch have uh, 10 times that and a smaller country. But they have advantages over us. They are, beside the Rotterdam pork, they can get in grain from all over the world in huge containers. And it is that bit cheaper in Holland to feed pigs. And that's the economic advantage they have over us. Now, they have other problems that we don't have, like uh, probably slurry disposal, which would be a big problem for them because of their intensification. But uh, they have an advantage over us. So, you know, and they're at the heart of Europe there again, which they can, they can easily, cheaper, move their finished product all anywhere around the world as well. So Ireland is able to get rid of its shit quicker but faces problems that the Dutch don't. That's it in essence, right? Yeah, I mean, like, it, it seems quite straightforward. Shorter distances to send their, their pork produce. It's cheaper grain as well. So it comes down to this comparative advantage. And I think what was really interesting is that Tommy was saying that when you're, in, particularly in the pork trade, you're competing at a European level. And so you're competing with German country, you're with German produce as well as Dutch produce. And... The other thing that was really, well, I found, I guess in some ways it's, it, it's obvious, but there's a lot of similarities in the way the pork farming is in Europe as it is in Ireland as well. In terms of the latest technology, they all go to this big show in Germany and they all basically farm the same way. Yeah, you could probably go to a pig farm in the Netherlands and get the same kind of tour that we got from Tommy in terms of, you know, we might come on to it later, but the way in which fa- pigs are farmed is the same on Christmas Day as it is on the hottest day in July. Doesn't change in a way that is not the same for, you know, if you have cows, if you have sheep, if you have different types of farming. Or strawberries. There well, you go. <laughs> here's, here's Tommy talking about um, just, I suppose, the similarities and commonalities between um, pig farmers across the EU. I mean... A lot of the equipment that we would use would be coming in from the continent. Yes. It's very same equipment. The, the genetics we would use would come in, you know. Now they are, even those companies I talked about, the AI, like, you know, the Snorland base, but he would be getting his, his genetics from the continent, like, you know. Uh, 
No, the world has got small, like, in regards to that. Like, I mean, if there's any improvement in any equipment, I mean, they will be overselling it to us right away, like, you know, mm. running new ideas. And then, obviously, obviously the same rules as well. As same you. rules, and, you know, I mean, there's pig fairs, which will be held, the biggest pig fair is held in Germany. So, like, I mean, Irish farmers will go to that, you know, and see what's new on the either equipment or housing or genetics or mm. nutrition or whatever is new on the market with the latest bit of research because you have to keep up with the times because we are selling at a world price like you I mean if the price of pigs goes up in ireland in the morning it goes up in germany you know what i mean it's, it's not that there's a big difference in the price if it goes down in germany it'll go down in ireland you know because we're selling virtually into the same market so it's keeping up with the Kardashians in effect, Jack. You know, whatever the Germans are doing, whatever the Finns are doing, whatever the Dutch are doing, we got to be right up there with them. Absolutely, 100%. And I think the other thing it says is that if the British market did close, that there would be an absolute catastrophe because, as we've discussed, the European market doesn't actually want the particular pork produce that we, that we make. And also, there'd be an oversupply, and so the price would go shooting down. So farms would be really really screwed across the EU. When we leave the European Union, we won't have to impose any border. Uh, the problem here is that uh, the British government's stated position uh, in December and still now is that they want to ensure that there is no border uh, infrastructure between Northern Ireland and the rest of Ireland, that there is no barriers to trade between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom, and that the United Kingdom is leaving the customs union and single market. And those three things are simply not compatible. And those three things are simply not compatible. But if we do, that's what the European Union wants and we go along with it. The losers will be the Republic of Ireland. The economy of the Republic of Ireland would be in very bad shape. We obviously spoke to Tommy and he was very generous to us, but we actually decided to muck in as well. Yeah, we got a really great tour of the farm. Brought back a lot of memories for me. Explains so much. <laughs> We're in the Dreiser house now. This is where all the the mothers, if you want to call them that way, are kept. We call it the Dreiser house. It's during the gestation period from our mayhead until the farrow. They're stored here. And uh, this is... Uh, Relatively new house, but uh, we used to have sows in stalls. But I think it was about 2012 or 13, if my memory serves me, it became illegal to have sows in stall under EU laws. EU that was yeah. the time I was working here. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the final move over. Yeah, exactly. So you are not allowed to start a welfare issue. Yeah. So uh, we thought it would be terrible hard to, you know, to, to control sows in open pens but you know we we had to do it and we've just got around to doing it and we had to invest a lot of money unfortunately you know another downside to our business now there was some grants available mm -hmm. to do that because it was eu legislation and uh, we did get but it still cost us a lot of money you know <laughs> didn't, didn't cover the whole no cost, it did not <laughs> nor, nor near us you know but having said that i still probably would agree with it because you know it is actually better for the animals like you know yeah. and that is a important issue like for us as pig farmers welfare is coming increasingly important you know so that i mean that noise in the background was was a, an automatic fan going off and it, it's we're talking about like the level of automation on these farms like this is not you know a couple of sows out on the grass chomping away like these pigs get fed at nine o'clock every morning 
the bu- the the machine goes on, the food comes in, the cells get fed, they're fed for the day. Artificial insemination. Like the whole way up, it is all automated step by step by step. Um and it's actually quite quite high tech. Like it might not look like it if you were if you were to get a visual representation of it the way we did, but there's a lot of technology and a lot of money has gone into making this a viable business, which I think is 700 sales, I think he said, which is the minimum necessary in Ireland to make it a viable business. Yeah, and, and I suppose in terms of that question of viability, I thought it was really interesting. Um, there, we got a glimpse into how EU regulation has a direct impact on farms in terms of um, the welfare issue you raised there and having to build yeah. a new facility for, for the pigs. But the other interesting thing he said was in terms of pre-joining the EU, that basically every farm in the country had pigs or a pig because pigs eat, as we know from Snatch, pigs eat anything, including including humans. Um, <laughs> but b- because pigs eat anything, they used to eat scraps. And before the European Union, 25,000 farms had pigs in Ireland. That figure is now down to 500, which, I mean, is quite a dramatic yeah. um, concentration of pig farmers in that short period of time. Yeah, it's the industrialization of pig farms. And, you know, it it was not an insignificant sum that was invested to build that big, great big sow house that holds 700 sows at the time, uh, that they only got partial grants for. But if they wanted to stay in the industry, they had to do it. They had, they had two choices. They could either sell up and move on and say, thank you very much, or they could invest in it. And they made the decision to invest in it and they're still there, you know, coming on 10 years later. And for those uh, really interested in artificial insemination, I, th- I think it's actually worth, well, I'm not even sure where, I think it's just interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's not specifically Brexit related, but let's have a listen to it anyway. We do the AI ourselves, yeah, yeah. All the AI is bought in. Uh, it's a few different companies in Ireland. Uh, I think there's about four who supplies uh, AI. And uh, I mean, it is again, a far simpler system than using natural mating, like you know, you it's much. Do that anymore, no, 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 don't do it. We do, we do a few bores there just uh, uh, for stimulus purposes for the sows, but uh, I'm afraid that's all. They're, they're there for show. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, it is all AI uh, for well, probably you get a, a quicker turnover on genetics as genetics continues to be improved. Yeah. You know, for numbers born and for meat production. Uh, percentage and, and all the efficiencies is in the pig industry like yeah. food conversions uh, daily gains so like they have the newest and the best genetics uh, and so you get oh, access right. them right away where if you're using boards you know you're you're, you're, you're you're actually you're probably 12 months 15 18 months behind the curve in terms of uh, advances in genetics so it's that's another reason as well but uh, uh, plus it, it really is much much easier uh uh, less work to do the AI, you know, yeah. and uh, it's it it cuts out a lot of labour because using natural service is is hard and it's dangerous work as well with with male boar pigs, you know, yeah. uh, or it can it can there can be can be a problem there as well. So, so male boar pigs can be a problem, and Brian, we can confirm that those were pig noises rather than you eating your lunch in the background there. We can confirm that, Jack, for sure. I mean, we can't verify it, but... but You can take our word for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also to bring it back to Brexit, one of the questions that, that was of particular interest was 
the question over stockpiling. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he was pretty clear. Dismissive. Thought it was nonsense. Stock, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, okay, you can stockpile it for how long? Like, I mean, at the end of that period, you're still going to have to replace it. Like, you can't stockpile it forever, you know. Yeah. And I mean, what's the point when you can have fresh pork delivered? We can, you know, I mean, uh, we, we sell our pigs to the north. So they're, actually, we're selling them in the UK at the moment. Yeah. And traditionally, uh, Cookstown would always have bought pigs in the south. And uh, they have more capacity to process pigs than they have pigs up in Northern Ireland. So they need pigs to keep their factory full, like in Northern Ireland. As regards stockpiling, I, I can't see uh, how you could do that or make any benefit at all to anyone. So stockpiling, he thinks it's a pile of nonsense. But also in that clip, Cookstown right, brings us right back to the start. They need him as much as he needs them. What's that about? Yeah, and I think the other thing is, so Cookstown's obviously up north. Um, it's a big processing plant. And the majority of stuff does go to the UK or is sold in Ireland. But apparently Dunn Stores also um, gets some of its pork from Cookstown. So you have a situation where pigs reared in the south, processed up north, come back down south. Now, if you've got a hard border... That's a problem. Well, that's at least two crossings. Minimum. Minimum two crossings. So, but myself and Jack, for the benefit of the listeners, have raised our hands in the air. <laughs> it's it's a mess, you know. A no deal Brexit has real physical implications for people. And the artificial insemination or the pig sperm, if you will, isn't the only thing that comes from the UK and even mainland Europe. There's actually other practical stuff, i.e., food for the pigs, that um, that also needs to cross a border. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the grain would come through northern, or come through northern Ireland or the UK. Uh, there would be our feed components that we would be feeding here, uh, mineral mixes, vitamins, all that. Now, some of it is European based as well, but there's a lot of it is UK based. So, I mean, Tommy has pointed out, sells all his pigs to the north, gets some of his feed from the north, gets some of his AI from the UK. It's like he's heavily dependent on the UK and Northern Irish market. Like, could, could we have a better example of how Brexit could affect an industry, Jack? We couldn't. No, I mean, as you said, 100%. I think what was reassuring, though, was his confidence that the British aren't going to let go of the bacon. I think for all the people we've had on who are sort of describing, not quite, you know, in theory or hypothetical situation, this is a very real situation. Yeah. And... There's also that confidence, or maybe you need that confidence to keep going, that it will be solved because, quite simply, it has to be solved. Yeah. I mean, a businessman's perspective on, on the whole thing. I think that's why, personally, I enjoyed going down and seeing the grime and the dirt and the business going on a day-to-day basis and how he's affected by it. He's not affected yet. But how he will be affected potentially in the future. How he will be affected in the future, yeah. And I, and I guess it does show you that Brexit, he didn't vote for it. And yet it's going to have a huge impact on it. He's just one example of the sweeping nature of Brexit that really wasn't discussed during that campaign. No, not 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 in the slightest. And in a future episode, we're also going to go up to Derry as well. London Derry. Legendary? Legendary. Let's go with legendary. legendary. The city? Um, <laughs> the walled city. They're another another situation 
where they didn't vote for Brexit and it's still impacting them. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to getting that episode out and seeing what reaction we get because we got some we had some really interesting people we spoke to up there. So we'll leave it there. But before we do, Brian, we have an email address for those who want to get in touch. It's uh, Paddy wants to know Brexit. It's the number two uh, at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Twitter at Paddy Brexit. And thanks for those who have left reviews on iTunes. Um, if you like this episode, please leave a positive one. Yeah, like, share, review, etc. We want to get more people listening to uh, us talking Brexit. That's all for now, folks. See you later. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.